This is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. I'm Reverend Jay Stewart Glover, and you are listening to Faith Talk. On this platform, we aim to bring relevancy from the biblical text while also bringing clarity to our own religious experience. Our topic for discussion today comes in the form of a question. And that question is, can embracing the gospel heal our shame? Can embracing the gospel heal our shame? This is our topic for today. So let's begin our discussion with a an attempt to define shame. A simple dictionary inquiry offers this. Shame is a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. Shame is a condition of humiliating disgrace or disrepute. Shame is something that brings censure or reproach. Shame is the painful emotion that is caused by the by a consciousness of guilt, failure, impropriety that often results in the paralyzing conviction or belief that one is worthless, that one is of no value to others or to God, unacceptable and altogether deserving of disdain and rejection. So that's, um, <clears throat> those are some dictionary uh, definitions of shame. But there's a book that I've been reading. It's, it's called God's Unconditional Love, Healing, and, uh, Healing Our Shame by Wilkie and Noreen Cannon L. And in this book, we find this. They say shame is the feeling that we are unworthy and it seeps into everyone's life. All of us, they go on to say that all of us have feelings of inadequacy and secretly fear that there is something wrong with us and that we are not smart enough, not successful enough, not rich enough, not interesting enough not good-looking enough, not good enough to be loved for who we are. Shame causes us to lose faith, to lose faith in ourselves and to believe that there's something fundamentally wrong with us. And also it makes us believe that unless we pretend to be someone other than who we are, that people will find us out and reject us. These pretenses can take many forms, but they all have the same goal to protect us from feeling shame and bolstering our self-esteem. Again, our topic today is can embracing the gospel heal our shame? You know, we have come to believe, I have come to, to believe that shame is at the heart of most emotional and spiritual struggles. 
you know, from through a lens of spirituality, shame causes us to keep God at arm's length. And it brings and introduces fear into our lives that we are sinful and unloved. We believe that even God will reject us. But I think that we should further explore questions like, how does God feel about us? How does the way God feels about us compare with how we feel about ourselves? Can God be found? This is a big question. Can God be found in the midst of our struggles with shame and other painful emotions? And very importantly, how can we encounter God in a way that brings healing, forgiveness, and wholeness? The authors of the book that I've been quoting, they use a scripture to, to make a point relevant to this issue of shame. So I want to look at that scripture and the author's use of this text to make their point that I happen to like very much. <clears throat> the scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, and verse 13 and 16, it, it reads like this. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. And he took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and blessed them. Comes as no surprise to me, but it's profoundly relevant that right after that short portion of scripture, it's followed by a... a a rich man, young rich man coming up to him, falling on his knees and saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So going back to the book that I've been quoting thus far, God's Unconditional Love and Healing Our Shame, they say this, the writers, they say compassion towards oneself entails being empathic and caring of one's inner child. Remember the, the scripture that I just read talked about children trying to come to Jesus, parents bringing their children to Jesus and the disciples, the religious folk, the followers of Jesus get in the way and say, no, don't bother Jesus right now. Leave, leave him alone. So the writers of the books declare that psychologically the notion of the inner child refers to emotional memories that are stored within and carrying the lingering pain of unresolved childhood wounds. The inner child represents a vulnerable aspect of ourselves that we tend to abandon because we are ashamed of this inner child and the wounds. But as adults, we need to recognize our neglected inner child and develop a healing relationship. A metaphor for our vulnerability, the inner child needs to be seen, soothed, and loved. We need to move on from I'm not good enough to the belief that what I am is enough for God to love me and enough for my own joyful embrace.
So what their use of the scripture is to make their point is that simply this. We need to bring our inner child hurts and shame to Jesus without letting, going back to the story, it was the disciples that said, don't go to Jesus, leave him, you know, don't let them come to Jesus. But here we're proposing to you that sometimes our own inner voice rises up within us and tells us to don't bother bringing your hurt and your pain to Jesus. Leave Jesus alone. God is too busy for you. You know, if there even is such a thing as God, he certainly is not concerned with your problems. So <clears throat> the writers of this book, they also give us some telltale signs that shame is showing up in our lives when, when we are saying things like, you know, in, through our language, we say things like, I've been embarrassed by how little I've done with my life, or I feel stupid and inferior. Uh, I can't when I compare myself with people that I work with, or my 25th class reunion is next month, but I can't show my face. I just can't measure up to what a good wife, husband, parent should be. I feel like a fraud. Sometimes I act like I'm better than others so they will think I'm important. Or if people at church really knew me, they would be shocked by what, what I really think and feel. I never feel like I live up to what is expected of me. Or I think I was a disappointment to my parents. These are all things that people say that give us signs that they are experiencing and carrying a very burdening shame. And this not good enough is the feeling that all these people have in common. Each of them lives with a, a nagging voice that reminds them over and over again that they are flawed and unworthy. And we all have this inner voice that devalues us and it makes us feel small, maybe not every day, but often enough so that we can relate to the self-doubt expressed in these statements. Now, I would like to just remind you that our topic today is what it is. Can embracing the gospel heal our shame? So if there's anyone in the listening community that has some formed opinions about the burdensome carrying of shame and, and how shame can be healed as adults, perhaps shame that you've been carrying from childhood, feel free to come on in and let me hear what you have to say. It's on this platform that we can learn from each other. But I, I would like to offer this. We should look at some of the origins of the shame in our lives. For one, I think that there's, we may experience harmful teaching. Even as children, as young adults, as teenagers, and even as adults, we can receive harmful teaching from friends, relatives, family, from religious authorities, and we in turn may also develop a poor image of God, and we'll get to what I mean about that. What is your, your, your poor image of God? What are you talking about? Well, first of all, let me say this, I am 
an ordained Baptist minister. And when I say poor image of God, when I was a kid, I somehow <clears throat> was introduced to God in a way as a child, whether explicitly or implicitly, that I felt that God was kind of <clears throat> just waiting to, to, to punish me. That God was, you know, I like to call, call refer to this as a, God was a, a <clears throat> celestial scorekeeper that was just counting up my good deeds and my bad deeds and just waiting to push that button to determine my fate at the proper time. And this is a, a and that God that I, that I understood was far off. This is a poor image of God, one who is ready to condemn you and dispatch you to hell. This is a poor image of God that we sometimes end up and the poor image of God may also come from people who identify as Christians, who act inconsistently with the, with the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. And they may, you may experience hurt at their hands. Um, so that leads us to another thing. There is harmful teaching, developing a poor in, image of God. And then there are things that are done to us, things that we experience from our childhood on up. Things that are done to us, things that, harmful things, harmful events that people have sinned against us that can bring trauma and shame. And when you experience this type of trauma, especially as a child, people have a tendency to believe that they are unworthy, unlovable, and that they deserve what they're going through and something's inherently wrong with them. And then as we experience these harmful events, there's also the things that we have done. Things that we have done and are um, unable to forgive ourselves. After you realize that it, that it wasn't perhaps the right thing to do, we, are, we then wrestle with the ability to forgive ourselves. And where does that come from? Well, if you have a poor image of God and God is not this loving, forgiving God that we hear about now, then you may find it difficult to forgive yourself. God doesn't forgive you. Why should you? How could you possibly forgive yourself? Forgiveness is a difficult topic. Forgiveness um, requires us to, you know, to comprehend God's forgiveness is a challenge to us. I think we're intellectually challenged to understand how God could forgive somebody who has done something so wrong. And we, in turn, are unable to forgive ourselves. So what did we say? We say that some of the origins of shame in our lives can come from harmful teaching, the development of a poor image of God. And believe me, there are adults, many adults today, running around with a very poor image of God. Then there's things that we experience, things that are done to us, harmful things that bring trauma into our lives, that introduce trauma then there's things that we may have done that were wrong and, and we are unable to even forgive ourselves. So then the question becomes, well, what do we do with this shame that we have? Do we suppress it? Do we try to cover it up? How do we deal with it? 
And if we have any people who have strong opinions about carrying shame and, and the healing, the journey of the healing of shame, come on in and talk to them. But when we talk about covering our shame or suppressing our shame, I'm reminded of this Bible story of Adam and Eve. We know it. We know that um, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now here's the part. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So this is what they did. The Bible says they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. Now, it doesn't take much to realize that this was an inadequate cover. And I like to refer to this covering themselves, covering their shame, as man's first attempt at religion. They tried to cover up their own mess by their own methodology. So what do we do? Adam and Eve made fig leaves to cover up their shame. What do we do? What is our response to our shame that we may have been carrying from childhood. Some of us turn to alcohol, drugs. Some of us hide it, act like it doesn't exist. Some of us never confront it. We act like everything is all right. Some of us accept it as this is who I am. I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable, unforgivable. And all of these things that we do and think only serve to suppress the shame and contribute to the perpetuation of this burdensome personal shame. So my point today is that we have a choice. When it comes to dealing with our shame, and the question is, the topic today is can embracing the Gospels Heal our shame. So I'm proposing that we have a choice. We can make healthy choices or unhealthy choices that can either introduce healing or sustain the existing trauma. So I would propose today that the, the healthy choice requires us first to Imagine God as the lover of our soul instead of imagining God as the one who's waiting for you to do something wrong so he can send you to hell. Again, that's the poor image of God. So we need to reimagine, reconstruct this image of God that we have as being one who is compassionate, loving, caring, like a father. <clears throat> this healthy choice of reimagining God as the lover of our soul, it also includes an act of repentance. And I'm not talking about turning from your sin right now. But of course we need to do that. But I'm talking about turning from embracing this shame and despair. Yet turn from it. And as we turn from it, we need to turn 
to embracing the healing love of God. When I use the word repentance, it's a two, it means two things. Yes, it means turning away from sin, but just because you turn away from sin, that doesn't bring necessarily bring healing into your life. The other half of that equation is to turn to God and embrace the God. At one point you were embracing the shame, now you need to embrace the love. So my proposition then is that the healing of our image of God is at the core of this transformative process. Reimagining God as someone who loves you as opposed to someone who's putting you through suffering and, and judging you and condemning you and just waiting to send you to hell. The gospel is to be experienced. The good news. The gospel is referred to as the good news. And it is to be experienced, not just read and learned about. It's not only dealing with your mind. Of course, it deals with your mind, but it's also an active experience that takes place in your life. And God reveals his intentions, his personhood through the scriptures. He extends this invitation through his words. I'll give you an example. Uh, let's see now. Somebody is reaching out. Hey, Daquan, how you doing? If you want to come on in, feel free to come on in. Revelations um, 3.20, for, for an example. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That is an invitation to be in communion with God, a God that cares for you. That's what that is. I'll give you another example of re- ordering our uh, um, image of God. So um, let me just answer a message here. Uh, okay, somebody was texting me in the middle of this. All right, so another example of God's invitation is this. Come to me Matthew 11, 28 and 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Mm, that word burden reminds me of this carrying this shame. That's what it reminds me of. Amen. Carrying the shame. Come to me, all you who are weary, who are tired and burdened down from wrestling and carrying the shame all your life. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Did you hear that? He said, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, this sounds like an invitation to me. This sounds like something for us to embrace and reorder, reimagine this image of maybe a corrupt image of God that we have. Yes, God doesn't like sin. 
But guess what? While you were dead in your sin, God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross. The Bible goes on to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and this is good news, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. That's good news. That all of the, the things that we carried for such a long time and struggled with and wrestled with, and then had us on the trajectory towards despair and walking along a river of sadness. God is saying, in Christ, the old is gone and the new is here. So in closing, I'll say this. My subject was, can embracing the gospel heal our shame? So in answer to that question, let me say this about the gospel. Let me say this about the gospel. The gospel is referred to, as I said, as the good news. Amen? The good news. The gospel, why is it good news? Because it's a, a message of liberation, freedom, salvation, and rescue. And I'm thankful, again, I'm thankful for this good news because like I said, as a child, I had this image of God who was ready to condemn me. Yes, that was the inaccurate, embedded theology of my youth. But now, now for me, the gospel represents a message that invites us to a place of love, freedom, justice, peace, reconciliation, as well as personal and social healing. The gospel invites us to embrace a spiritual empowerment from which, a posture out of which we can love God, we can love our neighbor. You can love yourself and be agents of change in our community. So yes, this poor image of self as being unworthy and unlovable, unforgivable and, and uh, worthy of, of punishment, that poor image of self and the poor image of God can be replaced with compassion for self and, and then you can replace the image of a condemning God with God who loved you even while you were deep in your sin. God loved you anyhow. So here's what I propose. Here is what I propose. I propose that I'm extending an invitation for you to prayerfully search the scripture, to allow God to reveal himself to you. Through prayerfully reading the scripture, you'll come to be in, encounter God's self-disclosure towards you. I invite you to trust God's leading, leading you to a place of healing as he showers you with his love. Amen. I'm going to bring in a guest, but just remember this. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. So now we have a guest coming in. Good, good brother. And let's hear from Daquan McKnight. Uh, my dear brother, Reverend Jay Stewart, how are you, my friend? 
I am very good. How are you? I'm doing blessed in the Lord and cannot complain. How was your Thanksgiving for you and your family? Oh, listen, Thanksgiving was wonderful. And hold on one second. I got to plug something in so I can get you on my, my recording thing. Hold on. There we go. Um, yeah, Thanksgiving was wonderful. And um, how about yourself? It was a blessing. It was a wonderful time to be with family and just reflect back on the great things that the Lord has done in my life and the lives of others. Just being mm-hmm. thankful for the things he has given to me. Praise God. Praise God. I'm, uh, so I'm uh, thinking of what do you think about this shame that we carry all the days of our life? And, and is the gospel message is it possible that that message for somebody who doesn't know, but yet they're wrestling with despair and shame, can the gospel message bring healing to that shame? What do you think? It can. I believe the gospel message can bring healing to that shame and despair because the gospel message is basically the good news in which God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in which it was there at the cross. He took your bitterness. He took your hurt. He took your anger. He took your rage. He took all of that upon himself so that you can be set free and forgiven and experience the greatness of eternal life that he has in store for each and every single one of you. So I do believe that embracing the gospel can heal a person's shame because not only is the gospel the good news, it talks about how Jesus saves, heals, delivers, and he sets free. So so what I think happens, though, is that people get turned off by how they see church folk act. Yes. And and it's, it's a shame. It's shameful that this happens, but it's a reality. But I mean, people say, well, you know, listen, I see what those church folk do. All they're telling me is that God wants to send me to hell. I got no time for that. I've got enough problems as it is. So, you know, <laughs> oh, I think that Christians need to be a little bit more sensitive to yes. people's needs. You know, God, look past your needs, look past your condition, and saw your need, as the song says. And, and so much to the point where he sent his son to die on the cross while we were yet dead in our sins. So who are we then to constantly? I, it really bothers me when I see people pointing the finger at other people and basically um, introducing them to a God that is just waiting to punish them and judge them and all that. Now, of course, God is a holy God and God uh, does not like sin and God will judge sin. But this is not the the the, the appeal. This is not the, I mean, the Bible starts out with a story of God calling his people out of that which enslaved them. <clears throat> and if we are enslaved by um, shame, guess what? God is calling us out of that. And he's calling us to a place of freedom and liberation and communion with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Yes, sir. And I agree with that. And I just want to reflect on something and what you said a minute ago. Mm -hmm. I was reading an article one time and it was entitled, Young People Are Leaving the Church. And the list of reasons why they're leaving the church. Um, According to one article, it says that young people leave the church based on theological issues, lack of leadership, secular issues, and of course, uh, pastors and staff team uh, making decisions that they may not agree with. 
and it also shows the startling statistic back in 1996 in which a group known as the Gen Z generation, 34% of them identified themselves as either atheists or agnostic, while 60% of them have dropped out of the church in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's another group that call themselves spiritual but not religious. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, that is very true. And, and, and the sad part is that I think that, um, of course, people are driven by their own resistance to God in the first place, but mm-hmm. sometimes the church doesn't help the situation. And all I'm saying is that we need to be a little bit more sensitive to the needs of people. Um, you know, we, don't, we can't expect them to come through the doors of the church as churched up people. They come through the doors yes. in the condition that they are in and we can do all that we can do. You know, that reminds me of when um, Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave and then turned to his disciples and said, now take the dead man's clothes off of him. He was saying, okay, now you unwrap the things that have held, that were kept this man bound up in death. So that was the first ministry of, or one of the early ministries of, of reconciliation, standing with that person. And, and, and if you can imagine, the Bible says that Lazarus had been dead for a number of days and there was a, quite a stench around him. So, so we need to look past people's conditions and, don't, don't, um, and just help unwrap them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, and that's what the gospel is all about. I mean, the power of the gospel because it tells us who we are in Jesus Christ through our faith and our love and our hope. And not only that, but it talks about the transformation of our life and how the gospel message can change and transform the heart and life of a person through the working of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, and and if if we tap into that, um, God can use us as agents of change in this world um, to actually um, to spread the good news and, and help towards um, people's lives being changed for the better, for the better. Um, you know, and <laughs> there are a lot of people with this poor image of God that allows them to, to um, consider themselves as better than other folks or or maybe allow you to to storm the, the capital in the name of Jesus <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and do all sorts of things. Just because you identify as a Christian does not mean that you are following the, the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. So my recommendation for anyone who's listening is that they need to find out for themselves. They need to pick up their Bible and prayerfully read it, starting with the gospels, and, and allow God to speak to them um, through, the, through, the, through the biblical text and, and bring all of their shame and concerns and everything that they think is wrong, bring it all to, to, to the Lord. Be transparent about it and, and see what happens. And I propose that God will change your life. Yes, sir, because pretty much the answer to that is that the cross is the answer for this generation. I mean, the answer for everybody's problems is the cross of Jesus Christ. The answer for anybody's troubles is the cross of Jesus Christ. What did he say? Come unto me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. My yoke is easy, and of course, my burden is light. Mm-hmm. 
But unfortunately, some of the religious organizations, their their yoke is difficult, <laughs> and their and their their uh, their um, their their burden is not light. They, they make it difficult for people to love God. So, um, Daquan, when it, when is your show on? Or is it on Wisdom? Uh, yes, it is on Wisdom. When when is your next one? Um, I'm getting ready to do another one in the next few minutes after I'm done uh, sharing my final thought with you on the subject we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking. Yeah, what's your I'm topic th- going to be? Oh, my topic. We are going to be going into the book of Thessalonians. We're just going to look at the introduction behind the book of First Thessalonians, and also examine chapter one about the power of the gospel, how it could change and transform the heart and life of an individual. Amen. I know my life was changed for sure. Yes, sir. You and me, bro. You know, my, my, I was a, I was a, wanted to be a rock star when I was a teenager. And, and guess what? You know, this topic is can embracing the gospel heal our shame? Um, mm-hmm. it, along my my pursuit of this um, wanting to be a rock star, I had some success in the music business and mm-hmm. um, played the guitar, but that that success, I should say I should say experience. Some people would consider it success. But what it actually did for me, instead of giving me all the happiness and joy that I thought I would get from this experience, it actually landed me on a trajectory towards despair. I was mm-hmm. very, I ended up unhappy. And I felt like a fish out of water. And that feeling of being a fish out of water was actually God calling me to change, to, to change my life by calling on the name of the Lord. And as the Bible says, never being put to shame. So um, I'm, I thank you, um, Daquan, for coming on. I'm going to let you go and uh, do your show, and I'll probably pop in on you and see what's going on. Yes, sir. God bless you and the Lord, Brother Jay Stewart. And just one more final thought in which we were talking about. It reminds me of the story uh, that Jesus gives in Luke 18 about the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee praying at the temple in which Mm -hmm. the Pharisee was praying the prayer in pride and arrogance while the tax collector, he was full of humility. And he was just saying, God, just be merciful to me, a sinner. And he got his prayer answered while the Pharisee did not get his prayer answered. And that teaches each and every single one of us a few lessons there in which sometimes people within the church world can be judgmental and critical and have the attitude of comparison. And many times, too, they also ask the question, who is church really for, believers or non-believers or both? Why should the unsaved hear about Jesus? Who gets to go to heaven? Who is the gospel for? What is the concept of reaching the lost really all about? Those are questions that is plaguing the church world. But we have to remember, we have to check our heart and check our heart attitude towards our fellow man and towards our fellow neighbor. And also as well, the gospel message is for all people. Amen. Well, Daquan, thank you for coming on. I'm going to sign off and uh, let me just close out with this. Um, I pray that God, the people listening, would be invited to pursue prayerfully, pursue God through the Bible and in their prayer life. You have been listening to Faith Talk, and I certainly thank you for being a part of our listening community. I thank uh, Daquan for coming on in. Please visit the website, 
www.reverendjstuartglover.com. Leave your comments on these episodes. You can register as a guest and contact me directly by email and even leave a voicemail right there on the website. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Daquan. Sir, God bless you.